0: And so we come to the end of the story, 31 chapters that have helped us to see from Genesis until now today to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Can you say Revelation with me? Revelation. A lot of people call it Revelations, plural, uh, but it's the Revelation. It's singular. It's what God is teaching us about, not just the end of time, but what God's been doing all throughout time. And the story is about God's message. It's been teaching us what God wants us to know life is about. Our world gives us lots of messages. Uh, We get all kinds of things brought into us that are telling us we ought to live this way, or we ought to live that way, or this is the right way to go, and this is the wrong way to go. And a lot of times we get so distracted by all the things that can happen in our world, and we get very discouraged by it too. But God calls us back to the center of the message. And He wants us to know that He has a good message for us. It's a countercultural message, it's something very different than what the world teaches us. It's very good. And it's really all about God. He wants us to know that there is something in that. Now, in our world, I would say that the general message, you can think about this and see if you agree. But I think the general message we hear in movies and on TV and in magazines and in ads and as we even go to school and as we work is that life is about us. Like, we deserve this, and we don't deserve that, and we ought to have this, and, and this is what we belong to, and this is what we should give ourselves to. And so the world has a message that it's all about us. But, but the sad thing is that if it is all about us, then when us ends then the story ends. And, and when it's all about us, then a lot of times it sort of just ends in death. And then that's it. But God's story is about the defeat of death. Many years ago, maybe you remember it, there was a bumper sticker, and I really liked the bumper sticker. Um, and it said, life is hard, and then you die. Right? <laughs> remember that? Remember that, that bumper sticker? Life is hard, and then you die. And uh, there's a certain truth to that, Right, and it, it's kind of funny, but you know, I think it's a nervous laughter when we laugh at that, because none of us want to die. I mean, dying isn't something we look forward to; uh, it's something that we usually have a certain amount of fear attached to, and rightly so, um, unless we know God's story. But but if we live according to this world, then there is an addition. Like this quote actually comes out of a an, a full phrase, and it was written by. David Gerrold, he's an American author. And um, so he wrote this phrase. He says, life is hard, then you die, but then the rest of it is this. Okay, Then they throw dirt in your face. <laughs> then the worms eat you. Be grateful, it happens in that order. <laughs> and again, I, I read that with nervous laughter. Uh, because if all life is, is this world, then David Gerard is right. And it's kind of freaky, it's kind of scary. But I'm so thankful that it's not all about me, so I don't have to just worry about me. It's all about God. And as we have been reading the story, we've been reading God's message of what he wants for us. And what he wants for us is to know that he wants to be with us. God wants us to know this is his message to us as we come to the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is a mysterious book for sure. Okay? It is a hard book all right, to understand all of it. But it's not an impossible book to understand some of the most important parts of it. Sometimes interpreters get so caught up about trying to help us understand the things that are really hard. And then the different interpreters say different things about what different things mean. And then the scary messages come out. And those are the things that are turned into movies like 666. And so God wants us, you know, to know that there's much more to Revelation that we can understand. Because we actually live in times very similar to the people John was writing to. John was the author, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, the same man who wrote the three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the Bible. He also wrote Revelation. And he was writing to a group of people who were being under severe persecution by the Roman Empire. There was the threat of death. There was the threat of death by being dipped in oil and burnt. There was the threat of death of being thrown to wild animals. There was tremendous persecution against Christians. And it was so bad that in that world, these people began to wonder, where is God? Where is God in all this suffering? And John was saying, there is hope. There was the fear that the church would be wiped out because that's what it looked like what was going to happen. But God was working. Yes, Satan, the beast, and evil seemed to be on the rampage. But John wanted the people to know in the book of Revelation that God has a plan. And in the end, God wins. God wins. See, that's the story ending for us. That's what Revelation says. Two words. God wins, not the end. We usually get to the end of a book and it's the end. But we get to the end of the Bible and it's God wins. Can you say that with me? God wins. Okay, that's what's at the end of Revelation. And God wins because Jesus is in control. God wins because Jesus is king. And so as we go into Revelation and we look at this, we live in a world not that dissimilar. Now, in the United States, it might not seem like that so much. But around the world, there are Christians dying for our faith. There are Christians being persecuted. And more Christians are being killed now than ever before for their faith in the history of the world. And so God has this message for us to share with the world that there is hope because God wins. And so the story, as we go into it, the story as we go into Revelation is that the story that we've been reading about is all about God's presence. Three things we're going to see today: the story is about God's presence, and then later we're going to see the story is about God's holiness, and then we're going to conclude by seeing the story is about God's glory. But right now, the story is all about God's presence. God wants to be with us. This is the theme. Of the story from Genesis. God wants to be with us. If you look in your outline, you have Revelation 21, 1 through 4 there. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And let's read that out loud together. Would you read it with me? Let's begin. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So notice there in verse 3, now the dwelling of God is with men. It's interesting because a lot of times we think of ourselves as when we die, we go up to be with God. But as we read this, there's talking about God renewing the earth to the way it was always supposed to be. So there's going to be a new earth. There's going to be the renewal of heaven and a new heaven. And then it says that this new Jerusalem, this city, the city of God, is going to come down from heaven to this new earth. God is going to come down to be with men. This is what God has been planning all along. God wants to be with men. We saw that in Genesis, right? When Adam and Eve were walking in the garden, who walked with them? God walked with them. When Moses was walking along the earth, God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. When Abraham was on the earth, God came and he was with Abraham through the presence of angels. God continues to speak through the prophets. And when the prophets heard God's voice, they would either literally hear it or they receive it in a vision. And those messages were that God was going to be with men. The Bible... Is the story of God trying to communicate with us. It's God trying to get our attention and to tell us that he's here with us. We love Christmas. And Christmas was God's idea to be with us. Again, in your outline, you see Isaiah seven fourteen, And this is this prophecy, 700 years written before Jesus was born. But Isaiah was told by God to write this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. See, God has always wanted to be with us from the garden, but sin interrupted God's plan and brought a brokenness in the relationship between people and God. And so God, from the very beginning, ever since Genesis, has been in the process of working towards Revelation so that we can be with him forever. But while earth continues to be here in the state that it is, God continues to invite us to be with him. God wants us to know that there's a victory. He wants us to know that there's a presence. And so this is the invitation to us. That God wants to be with us. Now, if God wants to be with us, and that's his story, God's story is that his presence is given to us. Then what about our story? What should our story be about? Well, if I want to receive something from God, or I want to receive something from anybody, I have to accept it. And so our story, my story, is that God directly can always be with me. That God will always be with me. He will be with me so that I can enjoy his presence and that I can know his power. What happens when I'm with God forever? The last verse of Revelation, of verse, the last verse we read, verse 4, Revelation 21. This is what happens when we are with God. This is what happens when you and I will see God in eternity. He will wipe away. Every tear from their eyes, there'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the promise that God gives to those who will follow him, to those who receive his gift, to those who would want to say, I want to be with God, I want to be in his presence, I want to follow God. God. This is the stuff that we struggle with today. This is all the lower story stuff of our world. There's much tears. There is much death. There is much mourning. There is much crying. There is too much pain. God knows this. And so his invitation to us is to know that he can change everything that we are going through in this life and make it good for all of eternity. Make it right. An unknown person wrote this. But it says this, only Jesus can turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. And this is what God wants to do. Do you feel like there's a mess in your life? God can change it into a message. Are you going through a trial or a test? God can change it into a testimony and give you triumph. Have you been a victim of somebody else's sin or of circumstances in this world? God can turn those situations into a victory. And this is the promise of God through the story, is that he wants to be with us, to change us, and to make life all that it's meant to be. Number one, the story is all about God's presence. But secondly, the story is all about God's holiness. If there was one word that I believe the Bible would want us to think of first and foremost when we think of God, it is the word holy. There is no other word in the Bible that is mentioned three times in a row. So there's no verse in the Bible like our songs, you know, we would sing love, love, love a lot in our songs, but there's no verse in the Bible that says love, love, love. Um, But love is good. God is love. The Bible tells us that. Um, Hope is good. Hope is good. But there's no verse in the Bible that says hope, hope, hope. Eh? The only word in the Bible that's repeated three times in a row, multiple times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is holy, holy, holy. And then it says, is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is And is to come. In other words, God is holy in eternity past. He always was. God is holy right now and is and always shall be. God is holy for all of eternity. I believe if we see God as holy, then other things that we see in this life begin to take on a different and easier and better picture. See, when we only see God as a God of love, then we have a hard time. We go, then why is there so much injustice in this world? When we see God as just a God of love, then when things don't go our way and we don't feel loved, we wonder, well, where is God? Where is God in all this? When we see so much pain and suffering in the world, we think that our definition of love is that if love is something that God is, and he won't allow bad things to happen. Then, then we have a hard time understanding it. But I believe that when we see that God is holy, then we begin to have the context to understand all these other things. Because in God's holiness, God is patient. In God's holiness, God is just. In God's holiness, God will make everything work out in the end. So God is holy. And the first time Jesus came, he came very quietly. He came extremely to the point that only a few people saw him after he was born. And even as he grew up, the whole world didn't know about Jesus growing up in Jerusalem or in um, Bethlehem or in Nazareth. The world didn't know about this. But when Jesus returns, the whole world's going to know. When Jesus returns, the whole world's going to understand that God is real and that God is holy. And when he comes back, he's going to settle the scores. He's going to make all things right. He's going to end injustice. He is going to bring retribution. God is going to bring a perfect justice. And we all want justice. If you, have you ever had injustice happen to you? Right? You ever had something happen to you you didn't deserve, truly? Somebody stole something that was yours. Somebody broke in, hacked into your your email. Somebody stole some of your money. Somebody promised you something. They didn't do it. Somebody's hurt you because they've gossiped about you. They've lied about you. They've slandered you. Somebody's hurt you because they promised you love and left you. Somebody's hurt you because they took advantage of a time when you were vulnerable and you gave yourself to them. And then they took a knife and they stabbed you with it. Have you ever been in that type of situation? Then don't you want justice? God is going to bring about perfect justice. See, Jesus came quietly the first time, but not so in his second coming. And in Revelation, we read about how Jesus is going to come. Revelation 19, 11, all the way through 16. I'm going to skip a couple verses, but you can follow along as I read. And there it says, and this is John having his vision in heaven. I saw heaven. Standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. He is dressed with in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a triumphant picture of God's justice. This is a picture that John had of what it's going to be like when God brings perfect justice into this world. Jesus comes riding in on a white horse. Jesus comes riding in on a white horse. And this is a perfect picture that the people who are receiving this letter could understand. Because in Rome, the people that were oppressing the Christian in Rome, in that day when a general had a victory, when a general won a war, okay, what he did is he got on a white horse. And he galloped through the city streets. And he galloped right up to the temple. The great temple. Okay? And then he would ride his horse to the top of the temple. To this pagan place of worship. And he would declare his victory before all the people. and Before these idol gods. And what God's word is saying, what John is telling people, is Jesus is going to come in a greater white horse. And he is going to bring his victory And who is Jesus? John says he is faithful. He is faithful and true. Faithful means Jesus is reliable. Whatever injustice we go through in this world, we can rely on God to make it right in the end. And Jesus is true. He is authentic and he is real. And when he comes, he will bring this justice of fairness and rightness And when he comes, he will defeat evil. Evil seemed to defeat Jesus when he died on the cross. But when he returns, his robe, which is dipped in blood, is a reminder of the price that he paid on the cross. That when Jesus died on the cross and his sins, our sins were carried by him there, he paid the price for us. And we talk about it Memorial Day. We understand this from a human realm, that soldiers have died, have given their blood for us. And Jesus has given his blood for us on the cross. But also there's going to be another blood that is referred to here in the grapes of wrath of God. It is at the winepress of the fury of his wrath that God is going to bring justice to the enemies who continue to hurt us it's not just about God getting revenge on people who hurt him. It's about God bringing justice to his people and to his martyrs and to those who have suffered for him, to those who were killed by the Romans, God will bring justice to those who are hurt. God will bring perfect judgment. And he rules with an iron scepter. He rules with authority. He rules so that we will know that where once sin destroyed, God will now destroy sin. God wins. And God's goodness is that He is going to not only bring about justice, He's going to bring about rewards. God is going to bring about perfect rewards. In Revelation 22, verse 10 through 12, you can follow as I read. John says, Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. That is the book of Revelation. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong, and let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right, and let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. The time is near. A lot of times we, we think of those people who sort of radical for Jesus or for anybody, and they go, the end is near. You know, but that message often is just a message of fear. Okay, But this is a message of hope. But it is an urgent message. The time is near. Today, the time is very near to us. It's an urgent time to be right. It's an urgent time to be diligent. And so John is writing to these people, and he's telling them something. He's telling them that God, in his mercy and his grace, allows people to continue to have free will until this time. He continues to allow people to make a choice about the way they want to live. And so he says those who do wrong will continue to do wrong. And that's before he returns. Those who are vile may continue to be vile, but to you... Those who do what's right shall continue to do what is right. Those who are holy shall continue to do what is holy. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be like Him in this world. He is holy, holy, holy. He does what is right. And He wants us to do what is right ourselves. Therefore, my story is that God can make me holy. My story is that God can help me to be everything that he originally made man to be, even now. Am I perfect? No. Do I sin? Yes. But can I continue to seek to do what's right? Can I get up off the ground after I do what's wrong and do what's right? Yes. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Do you want a great charge in your life? You know, we're, um, we're coming upon graduation time, right? And usually at graduation time, the speakers give these amazing messages and give these tremendous charges to you as students. And they tell you, like, go out and change the world. And we get very excited. and We want to hear these great challenges. Well, here is God's valedictory speech to you and to me, all right? Be holy. Be holy, even as your Heavenly Father is holy. Be righteous, do what's right. Let that be part of your story. Can somebody say that you are a holy person? I think a lot of times you say, well, you know, that's sort of left up to the Pope. All right? You know, we'll let him be holy. All right, Holy Father. Um, But you know what? Good news for Protestants. Um, You are the Pope. You can be like Peter. And the Catholic Church thinks Peter was the first pope. But Peter is telling us that all of us can be holy. God wants all of us to be holy people. He wants us to experience now what we're going to have forever. When we live a holy life, we do what is right. Have you ever had the satisfaction of doing what is right when other people did what was wrong? Have you ever had the satisfaction of deciding that I'm going to stand up for my convictions despite what other people do? Have you ever decided, like, I know the world does things this way, but I'm going to do things God's way? You know what you're experiencing? You're not just experiencing holiness. You're experiencing glory. You are experiencing glory the way God made you to be. You're experiencing something that sets you apart and makes you different. You know, a lot of times the challenge of this world is that people want us to be just like everybody else, and... Granted, we all fall into that trap. We want to be just like everybody else. But when we are just like everybody else, we're no different. We don't stand out. And we go, oh, I'm not different. You know? But you want to be different Then God's valedictory speech is this. Be holy, and you experience glory. See, the story is all about God forever glory. But we can experience that even now. In your outline, you have Revelation 19, 6-8, on the third point. Would you read that with me? It begins with the wonderful word, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what it means. Hallelujah. Let's say it together. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now, God wants us to experience glory. And God wants us to give Him Glory. The word glory comes from an interesting word. Now, I don't know if you would imagine this, but the word glory means to think. It means to think. And it means to think so that you recognize what something truly is. So it's our thoughts and then our opinions about what we think. So the glory, the thought of God, is what is absolutely true. In other words, what God thinks is what is real, and that is what is glorious. So glory is God's opinion about what he thinks about life. So his thoughts is what makes us understand what true glory is all about, what true value is all about. God wants us to also give him glory. That means that he wants us to think the right things about him. And so when we think the right thoughts about God, we are giving Him glory because we recognize who He truly is. God also wants us to know that He gives us glory. In other words, God has thoughts about us. God has a plan for what is right about what He thinks we ought to be. There's a verse in the Bible, Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. And it says, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if we were to translate it using the understanding that glory means thoughts, then it would be this, for all have sin and fall short of the thoughts of God, of the thoughts of what God has made us to be, of what we are to truly be. Now, if you've ever gone to shoot an arrow, you know if you've ever gone to shoot an arrow at a target, sin is if you miss the bullseye. Okay, that's it. And, and truly, in the Bible, that is the definition of sin. Okay, that's what it means. It means missing the mark. And so you shoot an arrow and you miss the bullseye, not just miss the target. I mean, miss the center. Then if you hit the center, you didn't sin. Okay? But if you miss it, you've sinned. And so every time we shoot an arrow, every time we shoot a thought, every time we shoot an opinion, if we miss what God thinks, we've missed the mark. And God says, you know what? I understand. I understand that you are going to miss the mark most of the time. I understand you're going to miss the mark, but you know what? Jesus, every thought, pew, Bullseye. Every act, Boom. bullseye. Every action, bullseye. Every time, he never missed. He never, ever missed. And so this is the good news, is that when we stand before God in heaven, we have a defense attorney. Okay? And we're up there, and we're going, I have missed... You know, ninety-nine point nine point nine 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 percent of everything I ever did in this life. And Jesus is saying, Father, I got it covered. He's with me. And it's okay. That Jesus is going to stand with us. And it was his thoughts. And it is his glory. The glory that he never missed is going to be shared with us so that we can share in his glory forever. God wants us to know this, that his love is so great that every shot that he ever made can count for every person who ever lived. Every shot that was ever made by Jesus counts for every person that has ever lived. No matter how far you've sinned, no matter what you've done wrong, no matter what you've ever believed that was wrong, God says, if you follow me, if you follow Jesus, that he will share his glory with us. He will share his glory so that we can behold him. So my story then, my story is to seek this glory. My story is to spread this glory. God wants us to know. This is why Jesus came to be with us. Well, so that we could share in his glory. In John chapter 17, verse 22 through 24, you have it there in your outline. I'll read it and you can follow. But pay careful attention. This is what Jesus prayed be- just before he died. He said, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. God has given to us his glory his thoughts, his perfect thought. How? In Jesus. Where did Jesus get it from? From God the Father. That's what he says in verse 22. I have given them, that's his disciples, that can be us, I have given them the glory you gave me. Why? So that we can be one, so that we can be part of his family. So that we can be in unity. And so that we have a purpose in this life. And that is so that the world can know that the world can know this so that we don't just seek God's glory, we spread God's glory. We let other people know God's glory. We're talking about that today already in our announcements. We have the VBS day coming up. In June, where we're inviting our friends and their families to come and to share and to know more about our Vacation Bible School. We're doing it even with the square dance. We're inviting friends and family just to get to know about us as a church, know who we are and spend some time and have some fun with us. You could do that at home as you spend time with your family, spend time with your friends. Just getting to know them, spreading your glory, letting them know who you are as a person, letting them know who you are as one who is loved by God. How much do you think God loves Jesus? How much do you think the Father loves the Son? I want you to think about something, because when I first heard about this, it just blew my mind away many years ago. But you know how much God loves you? He loves you as much as he loves his Son. How much does God love you? He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now we can understand that God loves Jesus. And we can understand that Jesus loves God. But look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 23. Let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. God loves them. God loves you and God loves me in the same way that he loves Jesus. This is the amazing love and the grace and the glory of God that he would let us know this love so that we can do what, Jesus says, so that when this life ends, when we leave this world, we don't go into Netherland, we don't go into hell, we don't go into the grave where they just throw dirt on us and the worms eat us. We get to go to where there's glory. We get to see God as he really is. We get to see the right opinion of God as he's always been. We get to be people that God has always made us to be. Always give 100%. You hear that again in valedictory speeches. Always give 100%. But there's an exception. Always give 100%, except when you give blood. Always give 100% except when you give blood. I heard that recently. I go, that makes sense. Okay. Well, let me end the story with this. Jesus gave 100% of everything. His love, his time, his presence, and his blood. Jesus gave 100% of his blood, his life, for you and for me. And this is the story of God. And he wants it to be your story. And he wants us to share the story with the world that they might know what kind of God we have. A God who wants to spend his time with us in presence a God who is holy and just and good, and a God who shares his glory with us, that we might walk with him in the streets of heaven forever and know the peace that passes all understanding. I invite you to know this God, and to grow in this God, and to follow this God, and to make Jesus your story too. We believe. We're going to sing a song in just a few minutes. And this song is like a creed of what we believe, of what we have learned in this story. And it's all about Jesus. That we believe that he lived. We believe that he died. And we believe that he rose again from the dead. And we believe that he's waiting for us in heaven. And we believe that there is life and life everlasting. As you sing, would you sing to Jesus? And would you seek him? And would you seek to spread this good news to the world? Let us pray.